Welcome to the latest episode of Coffee with a Little Bit of Cream. I'm Paul Sutton. And I'm Shamari Jones. We're honored to be partners with Wellness for Educators. And we hope that you enjoy the latest episode of this podcast. Hey everyone, this is Dr. Katherine Kennedy, founder and executive director of Wellness for Educators. We are so excited to serve as the sister podcast of Coffee with a Little Bit of Cream. We're grateful for the opportunity to cross-post and amplify Shamari Jones and Paul Sutton and their mission as they examine issues that impact education and the education system and ways that issues of race, power, and privilege impact students, educators, schools, districts, and the larger educational system. Here's the next episode for your listening pleasure. Okay, well, good day. We are doing yet another wonderful episode of Coffee with a Little Bit of Cream. Dr. Paul and I are honored to have a few guests that are going to help to support us in this conversation today that we're going to embark upon. I'm really excited um, to continue this effort. Paul and I have had a couple of ventures outside of just our uh, podcast presence to really engage deeply in conversations as such, especially those focused on education and the improvement of education. And I am happy to continue to be a partner to, to and with Paul and uh, for the efficacy of how we continue to do this type of work that serves our children and serves our community. And so I want to thank our guests, Allison McCartan and Jared Kalp for joining us today. Um, I want to give Paul just a few seconds to say hello, and then I would like for our guests to introduce themselves. Hi, everybody. Uh, again, I'm Paul Sutton, uh, Assistant Professor of Education at Pacific Lutheran University. Um, I've had uh, the opportunity to have both Jared and Allison uh, come into my class this past spring to talk to my teacher candidates about Indigenous pedagogy and Indigenous practice. So I'm really excited um, to get to speak to them today. I think they're doing some absolutely wonderful work in the state of Washington, and I can't wait for this conversation. Allison. Uh, I'm Allison McCartan. I uh, am finishing up my 11th year of teaching. Uh, I've taught up and down the West Coast and spent the last six years teaching at River Ridge High School in Lacey, Washington. Um, and the last three of those years working in our district's Native Studies program teaching uh, U.S. history through the Native perspectives, and I'll be continuing that next year and adding on civics through Native perspectives, uh, both of which are classes that I work on in partnership with Jared. Jared. Yeah. Uh, hello. Uh, hey there. My name is Jared Kep. I am Wakchumani and the Native Student Program Specialist for North Thurston Public Schools. And I am also the 2022 Washington State Teacher of the Year. And it is, uh, I'm excited and ready for our great conversations today to talk about uh, the diversity of Native education and then all the exciting possibilities, get into some of its history. Um, I, in my role, um, I can spend probably half an hour explaining all the sort of duties that I do in any given day. But really, um, the, the, the short answer is every day I show up, I show up for our Native communities and our Native students, and I advocate for 
good education, good representation, and to really honor and celebrate the presence and continuance in the revitalization of Native people and our cultures in school. Beautiful. And I have to acknowledge the names are incredibly important. I mispronounced your last name, Kep. And so uh, my apologies. And thank you for being here today. Paul, let's jump right in. I know we got a lot of wonderful dialect and dialogue and opportunity to engage ahead. So please take us. Well, I thought how maybe we would start today. Um, I, I, I always wonder just how many folks listening have um, how deep folks' knowledge is of what it uh, what Native education in the U.S. has been like, in particular, uh, what those experiences for uh, Native children and families and communities have been like in the public education system. Um, so I'm wondering, uh, Jared and Allison, uh, to the extent to which, like, you could may not necessarily briefly summarize that, but uh, could you provide maybe a background so folks kind of just understand um, what that's been like, what that the, what that experience has been like. Um, you know, maybe in the Pacific Northwest and perhaps across the country, but in particular in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah. So this is this has been an issue for centuries. Uh, pretty much as soon as Europeans got off the boat, <laughs> they they quickly realized that not only were our epistemologies and ontologies um, un unintelligible to them but they were also deeply threatening. And so the settler pursuits of land also required dispossession. And so as, as you get into sort of like this origin story that in order to break uh, people's connection with land in place, which we've had since time immemorial, they also have to figure out ways to break our bonds and connections to our cultures. But I think what's also like really radical with the, just how extreme their thinking was, was that like genocide and dispossession weren't enough. And as, um, as the, the late John Trudell, you know, once commented, um, they had to kill us. Because they could, because they could never destroy our spirits, and so with that, they went through great efforts to break our very understanding of the world, the way that we learned, the 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 way that we processed and shared and engaged with knowledge and the world and our and our ancestors and all of our relations. That was a threat, because as long as we maintained cultural identity we would maintain cultural cohesion. And as long as we continued to exist as peoples, that, that posed a serious obstacle to land theft. And so over the, the course of time, the government tried through many different policies, um, whether through just forced removal and genocide, to um, realizing, you know, post-Civil War, that it was too expensive to continually wage war against dozens of nations across what is now the United States. So a big part of the treaty era was to create reservations and to force native people onto them. 
and it was cheaper to feed and provide rations on these, you know, these uh, almost like prisoner of war camps than it was to, to, com to, to, to contest us in any feigned sense of equal footing because we have always, always resisted. And so a part of the, the next step of the effort that once they largely took all of the land, whether through force, legislation, um, trickery, then they had to institutionalize a, a, a method of essentially a genocide of the mind, right? So this, this cultural genocide where they had to establish a system of education within the United States that would break and attempt to break and strip all cultural ties and identity of native people, right? And this led to um, almost 100% abuse rates. Um, tens of thousands of children um, were killed or disappeared or died through disease in these boarding schools, um, oftentimes largely supported by religious institutions uh, within the United States and, and Canada. But um, generation after generation, they realized that we never broke, like they just couldn't do it. And so in, in the 1920s, in the early 1930s, you start seeing a, an increasing amount of government reports coming out. Uh, the Merriam Report is, is a famous one that really calls out all of the atrocities that the United States has played a direct role in su supporting um, in these really terrible um, education endeavors that they went into. And then that kind of continues. Even though it was called out, um, the government started to shut, shut down more of them. But in 1968, 69, you get the Kennedy Report. And it's the same sort of institutionalized um, racism and oppression ongoing. But now that because you're closing these boarding schools, Native students are going into public education, right? But that, that, that settler mindset of domination and what it means, and this essentially like this growing cultural idea of anti-Indianness, you see through like all like the old John Wayne movies is really persistent and prevalent within public education. Um, and I think that really comes to like the, the big shock for a lot of people that, you know, this, this is recent memory. Like the last boarding schools in the U S closed in the, in the mid to late seventies and in the mid nineties in Canada. And so there are still plenty of survivors that are out there today who are impacted. And so you have generations of trauma and mistrust with, with public education because from the very beginning of the American education system, we have always seen what it was truly about. Assimilation and settler colonial domination. And so that kind of comes to like, well, how are things today? Well, um, you know, you start looking in the 1950s and then after the Kennedy report in the 70s, you start seeing more interest um, from the federal government to provide cultural supports that are meaningful and respectful and supportive of Native students. So early days, you get the, uh, uh, the Johnson O'Malley uh, program, and then you get the birth of uh, Title VI, which back then was Title VII, um, which is a formula grant program 
that districts uh, can apply to uh, in order to receive uh, formula funds to support Native students in their districts. Um, and that has and continues to make a substantial impact in, in healing that, that trauma and addressing those wounds of, Ameri of American public education within schooling. And then we, we fast forward today, you know, like with as, you know, sort of the, you know, self-determination era really kept um, sort of to began to like in, invigorate the exercise of sovereignty on a larger scale. We start to see more tribal involvement in education in communities across the United States and continually in continuing that 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 resistance against our omission and miseducation within text and curricular uh, materials, but we still have major issues in the United States today. Um, over, I think, 87% of textbooks don't mention us after 1900. Um, over half of the states don't mention Native Americans at all anywhere in their standards. And so this this sort of um, American intentional amnesia and omission still continues to have lingering and lasting effects. Um, today. And so um, in our district, we, we have some pretty unique opportunities. Um, we have, uh, like, like most districts, um, because of uh, federal funding guidelines for various title programs, we have uh, requirements for tribal collaboration. And it's something that our district and the tribe um, that our, uh, whose lands our district resides on um, the, we are, we're all really passionate about working together. Um, it was a long journey to get to like this healthy place where we can come together and work on projects together and envision a better education system for everyone. And so out of that collaboration, um, our district, uh, flies the Nisqually flag at all of our schools. We created uh, our, our district's land acknowledgement. I worked with Allison to create a district-wide lesson plan to maintain the, the history and the significance of not only the Nisqually people, but the importance and significance of acknowledging land as inherently acknowledging people. And also part of that, I mean, the list is huge, but part of that was also having the opportunity to um, create, design, and support, um, and work with Allison on creating uh, pretty one-of-the-kind Native Studies program, uh, which we are also happy to, to have dual credit. Uh, so now it's uh, an exceptional program made um, continually more exceptional. And what this work is really highlighting is just how substantial an impact that decolonizing pedagogies and approaches in education reaches, connects, and benefits all students. And so while Native people often uh, tend to be represented in small numbers, typically, the impacts that our teachings, our ways of knowing and being can prov provide education is really powerful and impactful and helps create space and footholds for other communities to really, um, I think, develop that trust and to see and shape education that is meaningful and impactful for them. Thank you. That's amazing. I have a bunch of questions that are spinoffs, but I'm not gonna ask them because we have to, 
give space for your colleague uh, and your cohort, Allison, to jump in and do a more formal presentation. So I'll hold my tongue for a little while before I get into some follow-up. Uh, I mean, I think Jared is always so good at giving the, the detailed overview of everything. And uh, I, don't, I don't know that I have a lot to add because I uh, really, when I started teaching this class and working with Jared just a little over three years ago is when I started to learn any of this. Um, I was educated uh, in Washington State, not too far away from where I currently teach. And I, um, at various schools that I attended, uh, there was instruction about Native peoples and the Native communities that we lived around. Um, I was fortunate in elementary school to be able to go up to Ozette on the Macaw Reservation um, right around the time the dig was happening. And so I have, you know, sort of childhood memories of that happening, but uh, working with Jared has completely changed my perspective and understanding from what it was um, in my childhood and young adulthood. Uh, and the more that I do this work, the it's been really interesting to sort of think about what, what my relationship with Native education is now and sort of compare that to where colleagues are at. Um, since 2015, I think, Washington has had a state law that uh, curriculum needs to include our state's since time immemorial curriculum, which is about Native peoples and Native history and Native, uh, the Native nations that schools uh, exist on the lands of today. And uh, when, when I ask that in an interview question, the number of teachers from Washington State who don't know what I'm talking about is not surprising, but very interesting to me. Um, I taught for a couple of years in California before moving back here. And my first year back in Washington was 20, I wanna say like 2014. And when I started at River Ridge in 2016 was the first time I'd heard of the Since Time Immemorial Curriculum. So I spent three years at a different district where it was never addressed. Um, and that I think it's state law, but the enforcement piece is still a challenge um, because someone, there has to be someone who's checking and who's making sure that people are getting trained in this and that the district is paying attention and uh, connecting and following the requirements of the law. Um, and like Jared, I'll echo sort of the last part of what Jared said. Um, you know, I think anyone in education is always looking for a way to make it relevant and engaging and transformative for kids or for students. And that is one of the, one of the powers that Native education has as it brings these things to light and helps Native students feel uh, like school has a place for them. Um, it also shows other communities of students what what school can be beyond a place where you like come in, sit down, take out a worksheet, and try not to fall asleep, or or actually fall asleep, depending on the day. <laughs> this concludes part one of our multi-part episode of Coffee with a Little Bit of Cream. Join Shamari and Paul next week as they continue to talk with Jared Coop and Allison McCartan 
about Indigenous pedagogies and practice, how they think about what it looks like in practice, and how they would like people who likely have never thought about such things as Native education and Indigenous pedagogy to think about how it might improve their children's education. See you next week.